Hello, and welcome to the Jill Cruz podcast. This is Jill Cruz. Today, I had a beautiful conversation with Jane Baudelaire. She's been in the healthcare world for a long time, but she feels very strongly about medical advocacy and how so many, the system really is set up to not give us an opportunity to advocate for ourselves. And she, through her own life challenges and health challenges and bias against her, has really met with a lot of difficulty in the healthcare system because she was not heard. She was not listened to. She was dismissed on multiple occasions. And she actually calls this medical gaslighting, which is a word that I learn from Jane for the first time. And so medical gaslighting, right? So that means you are dismissed. You are almost made to feel like you're crazy for bringing things up, for being concerned, for expecting uh, compassionate, high-level care. And we, we deserve to have all of the above, right? We deserve the compassion, the good bedside manner, and we deserve the best, you know, scientific care that we can get. And Jane is an advocate for that. And she speaks very strongly about it. And you're going to love her story and her passion and, and her humor. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. But it's very important because we all need to start advocating more for ourselves. That is how the system is going to change, is if we fire those doctors who are not listening to us, who are gaslighting us, we say, get up and walk out like Jane has done. Let's all work together to make the system better for women, communities of people of color, um, people who are, you know, marginalized traditionally, whether it's their sexual orientation, whatever it is, we have to be pulled together to make this a better system for all of us. And I think this, this episode will inspire you to do that and get the medical care that you deserve. Hello, Jane. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast with me today. Thanks for having me, Jill. I really appreciate this time together. Me too. And, you know, we had talked offline and, and through chat about some things. And I know that something that you really felt feel very strongly about is advocacy in, you know, being an advocate for yourself in the medical world. And I had shared with you a story about someone I know who you know, she's black and her husband is black and he has sickle cell disease. And when they go into the hospital every time, and she's a nutritionist, so she like fully invested in his care, knows all the, you know, understands his medications deeply and everything. And they go into the hospital and they don't trust her. They won't listen to her and getting, as you've mentioned before, gaslighting, you know, she was able to pull through. She just told me yesterday and, and actually get the medication that he needed the specific combination but it's, it was a battle. And I was, I was just saying that I think it's, imagine if he didn't have someone like that advocating for him. So let's talk about that. <laughs> All that, mm -hmm. that stuff. It's very, very important. Well, and, and I will tell you that, that I learned at a very, I will say young age, that advocating for myself uh, became very important. One of the, the examples that I'll give you as I was, I think it was 16 years old, and I was sent for x-rays of my kidneys. I had had this pain in my back and they couldn't figure out what the problem was. And, and I'll get to the end of that story about what the problem really was because that really 
punctuates um, what I'm talking about. But they mm-hmm. sent me for this x-rays of my kidneys, uh, which includes injectable dye. So they inject you with dye to, to make the imaging of your kidneys and where things are flowing much more easier for the uh, radiologist to see. And as I'm laying on the table and they're getting ready to, me, to inject me, I said to the radiologist, I said, what happens if I'm allergic to this dye? Mm-hmm. And again, I'm 16 years old. But I, I knew that that was a possibility because I was a very sickly child and I'm allergic to a lot of things. And what that is really about, again, completely different story. It's actually an autoimmune problem that wasn't diagnosed until I was 41. Explained a lot, but at 16, I had no idea. I just knew enough to say, hmm, I'm allergic to a lot of things, including a lot of medications, including antibiotics, that this could be possible. The provider looked at me and said, that's, that's never going to happen. You'll be fine. And of course, you can guess what happened next. Um, I was allergic to what they injected into me. Um, luckily, I didn't anaphylact, um, and they could just treat me with uh, conventional antihistamines and whatnot and, and get through that. But I, what I will never forget about that experience was what really set the tone for the rest of my life, quite honestly, was that my question was dismissed. And as a patient in that vulnerable position of putting yourself in the hands of a caregiver, when you aren't listened to, when your concerns aren't met with compassion or empathy, or even any credence based on your life experience, because, you know, it's your body, you're in your body, and you are asking the question for a reason. And I'll fast forward to something that happened this year to me. I, um, I've got gallstones. Primary care sent me to a surgeon. I uh, was talking to the surgeon, you know, they're not excited. You're not a great surgical candidate, but if you want the gallstones out, we'll take them out. We really don't think it's about the pain you're having isn't really about your gallstones. We think it's about your back injury. And at that point, I made a decision to, to end the visit because as I explained my medical history, the pain of my gallstones predated my back injury. Uh-huh. So in other words, the timeline doesn't work. Your medical right. opinion that my pain is about my back injury doesn't explain how I had this pain before I injured my back. But provider, you've decided that something, this is something you don't want to do. You're not excited about it fine. It wasn't, it wasn't a very, um, it wasn't an experience that made me want to warm up to that provider. I also in that visit expressed my deep concerns because about the anesthesiology, because I'm a tough innovation. I have a history of not great reactions to anesthesiology. I expressed those concerns and the surgeon says, there's nothing I can do about that. Okay. I, I think that's another great topic to discuss with folks is the way we've fractured the healthcare system, um, I can talk to a surgeon and I can express my concerns about anesthesiology, and there is no answer of what I would hope there to be. We've got the best team in the world. You're going to be in incredibly great hands. I will personally talk to the anesthesiologist. We have had a track record of zero complications in X number of days. I didn't get any answer like that. I got, I can do nothing about that. 
again, you might be a very skilled surgeon, but now I have visceral discomfort that I think you're actually going to take care of me. What I think will happen is you'll walk into the OR, you'll do your things, and you'll take no responsibility for anything else that happens. Wow. As, as someone who's, who's worked in this industry, and I call it industry because healthcare is a business in the United States, a very big money-making business, it, it's very difficult to navigate. I remember being a very small child and my mom sitting me down one day and saying to me, your life is going to be very hard. Oh, and and at that time, at that time, I didn't know what that really meant, but she wasn't wrong. Is it harder for me than anyone else? Probably not. But it's, it's hard in these different ways, being a medically complex person, having a lot of things, this autoimmune system problem that I had that I alluded to earlier in this conversation, folks have never heard of it. I, I've I think I've had one clinical encounter since I was diagnosed in 2011 where a provider actually knew what it was, that they had heard of it before and knew what it was. Yeah. Um, And certainly at that time, you know, when my mom was telling me your life is going to be very hard, she had no idea. Wow. That wasn't a possibility. Yeah. Little did she know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, mother's instinct (laughs) is usually correct. (laughs) Exactly. And it's that, you know, I think that instinct or that intuition that we all have as human beings is shunned or, you know, it's, it's discredited. And when you go into the typical medical system, they don't want to hear, oh, I might be allergic. They don't want to hear that you're, you're advocating, you're taking responsibility for yourself. I know, I mean, I had both of my children at home because I was not willing to enter a hospital where there are sick people to give birth, to, to do something that's a perfectly natural, healthy process for, for most people, not for everybody, you know, that's what the hospitals are for, right? When it's not healthy, but I remember hearing stories, how people would say that, that nurses in the labor units, you know what I'm going to (laughs) say, they make fun of women who come in with a birth plan. Like it's a big joke for them. And I'm sure sure there are many nurses in this country who, who don't feel that way. But generally speaking, I've heard that from so many different people. And it's like, that's awful. I mean, this is a, this is a beautiful momentous experience that you're birthing yourself as a mother, you know, I mean, fully, right. When you're pregnant, you're still a mom, but you're really birthing into motherhood. And that's, that's not something that should be made fun of or laughed at or minimized in any way. No. So that's all. just an example, you know, of how I think our society, well, I, I think it's complicated, right? It's very complicated, like where, where this is all coming from. But certainly I think a big part of it is this is a business and there's a bottom line to be paid attention to. I, I remember my stepfather told me many years ago, he said, hospitals are designed for the convenience and ease of the doctor, you know, the staff, not the patient's, you know, recovery. And you're actually, you work in this field. So that's, you know, you're kind of like a fly on the wall and you're also a patient. And that's so fascinating. Well, I I think that's been uh, a huge benefit working in this industry for so long and being a patient, being a patient who is educated, not just about my own conditions, but how the system works and how to work the system. Um, how do I, 
how do I get attention? How do I find quality providers? And by quality, quality to me, to me doesn't just mean good outcomes. It means, you know, when I moved out to Nevada last summer and had to look for a new primary care physician, I need someone who has the schedule availability that I can get the amount of time I need. You know, I'm not a quick 15 minutes in and out. I've got a lot going on. And and luckily, um, you know, I made it this far, 53, who knew that was quite unexpected from, from my perspective. But yeah, I mean, it was top of my list, you know, someone who can meet me toe to toe, who will entertain my questions and not dismiss me. Because I'm when I walk into a clinical encounter, I'm thinking about all of the things, right, from my perspective. Um, but it, when you go see a specialist, for instance, you know, they, they might be singularly focused, like the, the example of the general surgeon and the gallstones, singularly focused on, you know, okay, do I think I can do this laparoscopically? Yep. Um, all of that looks good. Yeah, let's do it. It's like, well, no, no, no. Wait a minute. There's, there, I'm thinking about a few more things as the patient because yeah. I've got a little bit more going on. Um, right. But, but our system isn't, again, we're, we're not designed like that anymore, which is too bad. But, you know, I, I think it's important. I think especially women, we are not encouraged or empowered to uh, speak up for ourselves. And, and certainly in, in this dynamic in a clinical encounter where there's this perceived authority of the caregiver, right? right. Where they're just going to tell you, hey, you need to take an aspirin every day because you're over uh, a certain age. And uh, that's just how we do things. We've been doing it for decades. Uh-huh. And say, well, wait a minute. What if I'm anemic? Do you think, still think that's a great idea? Well, I don't know, you know, kind of things. I, I, there's just so, <laughs> and things change, you know, I'm, I'm not anyone's favorite patient because, well, maybe I am. I shouldn't speak for other people, but I will push back and I will say, you know, when someone uh, is is reading me the the latest information about blood pressure or cholesterol, as an example, and I'll say, well, I think what you're saying is based on what we know today. And I think, you know, the daily aspirin is a good example of that. Primary care was uh, advising folks to take a daily aspirin past a certain age for decades. And then one day the research shifted and said, well, everybody stop taking their aspirin. We can't do that anymore. And it, and it was, you know, we, we did more research. We know better. We do better. We found out that that's not a great idea. That's just like statins. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. My cholesterol, you know, one thing my body is really good at is making cholesterol. I love that joke. <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter is, you know, a lot of that's hereditary. Uh-huh. My siblings, my parents, the whole thing. But I say to providers, I'm like, hey, you know, I am a knowledge worker, meaning I don't get by on my good work. And one of the side effects of statins, which I personally have experienced, I've tried them, is you get this brain fog, right? And as a knowledge worker, not being able to get words out of my mouth um, and function with my brain is, is a non-starter. So what else do yeah. we have? What are the other options? And honestly, there aren't any. Right. Well, I'm just curious, because I feel like you've alluded to two things or maybe more of ways that we can advocate for ourselves. So Mm -hmm. that's, I think, 
you know, people listening will, will at this point be quite convinced because we've all experienced the, the doctors dismissing us and being mean to it. Not all, every time, but, you know, we've all experienced that at least once, guaranteed, in one way or another. So what can we do? Like, I think there's two levels, right? There's the, you know, you're meeting with a doctor about prep for surgery. You're meeting with your primary care on an annual basis. That's one level. And then there's like, you're in the hospital level, right. which is like two different right. kind of. Well, it, it, it is different. And at the same time, I can appreciate the fact that even if you're showing up for a primary care doctor appointment, you don't necessarily know what you're going to be talking about in that room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is similar to a hospital experience, you're caught off guard as the patient, right? With some diagnosis or some news or some uh, treatment plan that might be handed to you. You've never heard of this medication before. You've never heard of this modality before, and this is all new to you, and you don't even have the language or the questions. And that's when I'm saying, you know, for myself, it's about, okay, admit that it's new. Admit, you know, be a strong enough person to admit, I don't understand what you're saying to me. Can you explain this to me maybe like I'm a four-year-old? Because I don't, I need to catch up to you, provider. Yeah, um, I need to understand this better so that I can make an informed decision for myself. And, you know, as a friend of mine recently had a conversation with me, ask for help. If you have uh, folks in your circle, whether those are family members or friends that you think are really knowledgeable and good about advocating for their, for themselves, ask them for advice and for help. And even if they can come with you to a visit, you know, a friend of mine talked to me recently about She's been thinking as she ages that if she ever ends up in the hospital, I'm the first call she's making. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm that person that she wants to advocate. She would trust me to do that for her. And and it's really hard to do that for your loved ones because of all the emotion that's involved. And certainly right. COVID has taught us that if people have become gravely, gravely ill and, and passed away in some cases, you're not thinking clearly necessarily. But I wish there was a way that, Jill, that we could have more availability of resources like this in the system, you know, that we could have this uh, this role of a patient advocate be available to people, especially right. in that hospital setting is probably more important. You know, I think of myself when I injured my back in, in April of uh, 2019, and I think one of the biggest gaps one of the things that impeded my healing journey the most was not having someone with expertise around this managing my case. Uh-huh. And w- what I mean by that is like, I've, I've certainly had uh, relatives in the hospital or in skilled care facilities and they get assigned a caseworker, social worker, those kinds of things. And that's great. At least there's someone with some kind of oversight But then there's all kinds of people who are in this middle space of you're not sick enough, right? Right. You're not injured enough. You're not sick enough to warrant uh, support from some kind of case management. And because of that, navigating the care journey, when you suffer what to you as an individual is a a devastating injury, is, is very, very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's it's you wake up and it's a whole new world. You know you're wow. you're it's on, it's on the job training. <laughs> oh, gosh. You're, and you're not getting paid either. <laughs> and you're not getting paid, 
layer on top of that, you know, specifically with my with my back injury, I can talk about the discrimination that I experienced with care. And uh-huh. when I when I reflect back on the rest of my life, it was a situation that was was obvious and admitted to along the way. But I wonder if in years prior, encounters prior in my life, if I didn't experience the same thing and I did not did not know it. But what do you do about that? And and really all I would say to people about that is for those of you raising children, the difference between tolerance and acceptance. Tolerance might look like I'm not going to do you harm. Uh-huh. And acceptance might look like I'm actually going to help you. Okay. Wow. So if you are folks are out there raising children and they're saying they want to go into a profession that would expose them basically to the general public. And that could be some kind of clinical role. It could also be your hairdresser. It could also be your tattoo artist. It could also be your person who does your nails. If you're not thinking about the fact that you are going to have to touch people who aren't like you, people who their skin color is different. They dress differently. Um, in my case, I'm a homosexual. I had physical therapists who didn't want to touch me. That's a problem. That is a problem. Yeah. But it's not a problem that we're willing to solve at this point that anyone wants to talk to. I mean, has anyone ever said that to you before? We, we yeah. don't talk about it. And the the... I think a lot of it, I was mentioning earlier, my colleague who she's, you know, African-American and so is her husband. And she recognized the the racism, the racial discrimination that was happening yeah. and racism. I'm sure it's built into the system as well, right. blatantly. And we heard about with COVID, you mentioned COVID, how there was, it was very clear what was going on. There was rampant discrimination happening on the basis of, of the color of, of someone's skin during the COVID you know, height of COVID. So it, it's, Absolutely. it's horrible. It's horrible. It's institutionalized and it's, it's everyday, you know, personalized, you know, person to person as well. I'm so sorry that you experienced that. It's, it's just wrong, you know, and I'm, I wish I also, but the thing is, I think like you were saying, you know, if you have children who are going to go into any kind of field where you're interfacing with other human beings, you have to expect that you're going to encounter human beings who are not like you in whatever way. But not only that, you know, can we teach our children to be accepting as opposed to either tolerant or hateful, you know, all that stuff, that crap on that other side, but accepting, Mm -hmm. loving, compassionate, that's also part of what needs to happen because the only way the system is going to change is if we, as people, as individuals, make it change, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get too... (laughs) Sometimes I feel so hopeless. I think about this stuff, you know. Right. <laughs> it's it's we're not going to solve all the world's problems overnight or in one day. We didn't we didn't get here overnight. I, I think right. fun, fundamentally in our culture right now, we we see the impact of uh, fostering a culture in the United States of individualism, and right. that that didn't start started before my lifetime, let's say it that way. So we're not going to get out of that overnight. And I think the bigger question is, do we want to? 
do people um, in general recognize that that is part of the problem? That, you know, I think about one of the first jobs that I had out of, and I worked at a small publishing company in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, and it was a couple of brothers uh, that ran that organization. And it was a very small, 10 people on a good day. And these two brothers um, had um, between them 17 children. And, wow. and, and my point of, of bringing this up is that was my first exposure, you know, coming out of high school and college and now I'm in the real world of, of seeing what this really looks like in action. And what I mean by that is if you talk to these 17 children, they would tell you what wonderful people their fathers were. And if you talk to the employees of their company, they would tell you the opposite. And all I mean by that example is these folks, their priority, singular priority, was the well-being of their families and their children. That same dedication did not transition to the folks whose livelihood actually depended on on them doing their jobs. The environment, we would call it toxic today, um, it it was absolutely horrific. And we were treated very, very poorly. But it was an important thing for me to see as a very 20-not-many-year-old person and one of those experiences in my life where I learned not how to treat other people. In other words, here's behavior that I see that I'm learning I don't want to be like that person and I don't want to treat other people that way. It was another experience, though, quite honestly, of, again, having to advocate for myself. No shortage of opportunities. I think it's, it's super curious also, Jill, in this, when we talk about the demographic of your audience being probably Gen Xers and maybe some baby boomers. Right. The things that we have lived through as far as the cultural shifts, the, the shifts in technology, the ubiquitousness of information that's available to us, I think that is another positive when it comes to being able to advocate for yourself is we can much more easily arm ourselves with information. We can, you know, go to Google, we can go to the internet, we can read, we can even read journal articles. It's something that I had to do for myself when it, when it came to the COVID vaccines. Again, I wasn't getting advice from any practitioner because nobody knew. And I'm, again, looking at it through the lens of my autoimmune disorder. I'm like, hmm, um, are these MNRA vaccines going to work for me? Right. And no one could answer that question. And... I had to go out and do the research on my own and say, hmm, what have I learned? Luckily, some people had, you know, been studying this already, kind of diving into it. And it's interesting, a couple of years later, the research is still inconclusive, which in an odd way, I get to pat myself on the back, right? I get to pat myself on the back because that's really what I'm looking for. I don't want folks to tell me things as if, they are emphatic truths when the truth is we don't know. Yeah, that's that's so important. Like it's such a hot topic, of course, but also even when it comes to COVID itself, like there are so many questions. And when people were speaking, I remember in the early days, there was a big fight in the nutrition world, you know, should people take, elder, I think it's elderberry? Sure. 
they were a couple of like, uh, you know, uh, herbal treatments that normally you would just automatically prescribe with like the flu, but with sure. COVID, you know, does this hurt or does this help? And, it, and, and there were, you know, camps of people arguing and it was like, you don't know, you know, same thing with the masks. We didn't know the vaccine, sure. you know, all of that stuff. And so it's fine if you don't know. But don't lie to me and say that you do when you when you don't. That's well, the big problem, you know? It's so, <laughs> so interesting to me as a person who was diagnosed with an autoimmune, right? My body does not make enough glam globulin. And that story in and of itself is fascinating because it was an allergist who finally sent me to an immunologist. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances around that diagnosis, but the bottom line is... When my mother was pregnant with me, and yes, I have to go back this far, she was hospitalized with meningitis. My parents were told I was going to be blind, deaf, and mentally retarded. Wow. Now, I did shoot out of the womb with a tooth and flaming red hair, but I also do have a hearing (laughs) impairment. I have a hearing impairment that they didn't really figure out until I was 10 years old. But in the course of all of this diagnostic work and being sick and sick and sick and sick and sick, I finally had an MRI in my head, and and, uh, they realized that structurally in my head, I'm not completely anatomically correct. My station tubes didn't drop, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to getting diagnosed with this autoimmune disorder. And the doctor says, well, you know, you're basically built for harboring infection. So we're not going to treat you. I'm going to give you this letter, and anytime you get sick, you ask for antibiotics, and they should immediately give them to you. Unless it's a viral infection. <laughs> well, no. In my case, I should get antibiotics, right? Okay. And I'm 41, at that point, I'm 41 years old. And I was like, wait a minute. So here's your letter. Here's a pat on the back, and good luck to you, which has happened to me on more than one occasion. But, but I digress. The, the point is... I was given zero patient education about my immune system. And I mean my immune system in general. Right. So I took it, yeah. So I took it upon myself to say, okay, this is a disaster. I'm 41 years old. Do I want antibiotics every time I turn around? That's a non-starter. What's going to happen when I really need them? They're not going to work anymore. Right. If I just keep taking antibiotics. Okay. I'm a smart smartish person, I'm going to figure out what I need to do to shore up my immune system. What can I do? And I, and I, I learned the handful of things that I think a lot of us know following COVID. You have to get enough sleep. Sleep is your number one friend. No alcohol. Limit your caffeine. Have a healthy diet and take care of your gut health, uh-huh. right? These are the five things. Fast forward to COVID, I haven't had COVID. Yes, I've been vaccinated, and I'm in the high-risk group, right? Right. Somehow I haven't had COVID, and I think a lot of that has to do with, and, and I might be wrong, but the fact that I had to learn what I could do to protect my own immune system. I have not been sick in the way that I was. I mean, iteratively sick, just routinely sick since I learned how to take care of my immune system, despite the fact of this underlying condition. Wow. Can I just, I just want to interject because 
it's it's a it's a kind of an extreme example, right? You have this mm-hmm. severe autoimmune that's not very well understood. It sounds like, and you know, probably it's very rare. So maybe people are not the average doctor has no idea what to do. Right. <laughs> but in any case, it's a situation that maybe a lot of people wouldn't encounter. However, we did all encounter COVID. We, we do did. all encounter the flu, the common cold. Uh, and then we have chronic illnesses like type 2 diabetes that are mostly dietary or lifestyle induced, right? Some, of course, there's some genetics in there, even cancer, right? I mean, we, we all have all, there's all these conditions that are going on that we thank God for the medical system. We thank God for antibiotics and vaccines so that we can, if we need them, we can partake of these, these you know, pharmaceuticals and surgeries and all of that stuff. But we also have to take responsibility for our own bodies and our own health. If we constantly just feel, and I think this is a big problem in our society, is that we've been trained to think that oh, I'm sick, doctor. Well, wait a minute. Okay, maybe, but you have your own authority. Right? Um, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's, it's eluding me right now, but we have tools that we can use and we have ways that we can foster a stronger immune system or a more balanced immune system maybe is a, is more appropriate for you and or me i also have an autoimmune we are not sitting ducks we're not just you know flailing in the wind waiting for some medication that we've been deprived of our whole lives like that's just not how it works but many people feel that way so they feel i think a sense of helplessness and disempowerment and then they go to the doctor and they they really feel that helplessness and disempowerment right. so you know it's like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy but I, th- I that was one thing that bothered me during covid i was like why are people just acting like you're a sitting duck like do something about it get your good sleep don't drink alcohol if you can you know if you possibly can take some vitamin d or a multi at least like there there are things that you right. can do and i just oh it was driving me crazy so i on every call that i got on like networking and like guys are you taking a multi are you are you checking your vitamin d levels are you sleeping are you moving gut forget i mean that's more advanced but even just the basics and everybody knows we're supposed to be doing that stuff right Right. So I'm not saying that it's totally, it's not going to totally protect you, but it's going to make you feel like, first of all, healthier and also increase your chances of, of not getting COVID or not getting severely ill from it or any other condition, you know? Well, well Sorry, right. I feel and very that, strongly about that. <laughs> well, of course. No. And, and I love that, Jill. I mean, sitting duck is a great way to explain it. It's like, no, no, no. You can take some personal responsibility for how this happens to you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows better. I mean, the 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 pervasive use of alcohol in our culture, and now uh, what is becoming, I, I think, a more pervasive use of class one psychedelics in our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know the impact on the immune system uh, of class one psychedelics, but I can't imagine anything should be in your lungs other than oxygen. <laughs> call me crazy you know one of my favorite youtube channels is the institute for human anatomy out of uh, utah and i think those folks do a wonderful job of explaining how the human body works and um, they and of course they use cadavers so if people don't have the appetite for that i completely understand but maybe you could listen to it instead of watching the video 
But again, I mean, that information is out there. If you want to understand what alcohol does to your body or what sugar does to your body, there's very accessible, very short videos where the science is explained to you in a way that's very accessible. There's no quiz at the the end. You don't have to worry. In my case, I went to Catholic school. You don't have to worry about Sister Mary, somebody coming after you if you fail the test at the end. Right. But we can educate ourselves and, and help ourselves. And and I know, you know, saying sleep is so important. You know, folks who have, who are raising small children, that's impossible, right? To try to get a good night's sleep. You've got other things. Life happens. You've got other things going on. Folks who are taking care of other loved ones as caregivers for our aging population, that's it's very difficult to to rest, get a restful night's sleep, or or folks who are, are juggling multiple jobs, um, just trying to make ends meet as our economy continues to tank here. I, I know it's it's super hard, but you know I'm I'm thankful that there's folks like you out there having these important conversations, trying to um, bring this information forward in a way that's very conversational, anecdotal. I think we learn. One of the ways we learn best is hearing other people's stories. Yeah, and 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 hearing people. I, I I think what's a beautiful thing from all of these conversations that I have on the podcast is I hear past struggles, and then I hear lessons learned, hard usually hard hard earned lessons, and then I hear you know this is life is that we are going to have challenges. The question is, are we going to learn from them or not? So I think that when people listen. A couple of people have said to me, when I listen to the podcast, I feel like I'm not alone, you know, because I think that's such a, I'm just enjoying this so much, our conversation, but just in general, talking to women about their experiences. I say women are someone who identifies as women. I don't, I don't care, you know, because <laughs> these days we have people who have, you know, there's gender fluidity and all of that. And I'm like, right. look, if you right. feel like a woman, you're, you're welcome to, to talk on this podcast, because I want to hear about those perspectives as well. Like there's so many different perspectives to when we say women's health and empowering women. And uh, anyway, I, I agree with you. This has been so great talking to you. And I, I, I also want to say that I think, you know, two things that you said that I want to reiter- reiterate is admit when you don't know, just say yep. it out loud, ask for help. And I also, I will add, and I guarantee you agree with this because you even mentioned it. If the relationship is not working, you are allowed to fire your doctor or your yes. nurse practitioner or whatever yeah, in, a, in, a, in a non-rude way. But, you know, you're a customer and you're allowed yes. to, to step away and find another doctor. So if your doctor is not listening to you and not respecting your questions, then it's time to to move on for sure. Right. And I also 100%. wanted to say one other thing. I know that you're an end-of-life doula. Yeah. You mentioned that. And you mentioned this patient advocate. I had this vision of medical doulas. You know, someone like you, yes. who not, <laughs> maybe you never want to do this job ever, but it, it could be a thing of like medical doulas and, and you have that person on st- speed dial. If you're Absolutely. in and out of the hospital or, you know, have a lot of complex medical uh, challenges, a medical doula would be pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. I would love to have that job. We just need to figure out how to, how does the reimbursement rate work, right? What's the ICD-10 yeah. code for a medical doula? There, There isn't one. 
I, I keep waiting for Joe Biden to call me and, and ask me for my help to fix the system. And he doesn't, he just doesn't. Call. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to call him and tell him to call you. <laughs> you tell him to call me. You know, d- oh, despite gosh. all of my crazy experiences navigating the system over the course of my life, I am still passionate and committed to helping it improve and improving the lives of the people around me that I can influence um, just just by uh, sharing my knowledge, sharing my experiences. One day at a time, we'll make it yeah. better. But uh, Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for being here today with me, Jane. I, I know we could go on for hours, but I'm sure mm-hmm. both of us have other things that we have to <laughs> do in the day. But I really appreciate your time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Jill. You're welcome. So wasn't that a great conversation? Oh, I love Jane is she's so charismatic and so smart. And remember, she is in the healthcare world. She is a healthcare technologist. She's a project manager. So she's been in that world for a long time and she knows from the inside and from the outside as a patient. So I I love that perspective. If you want to reach out to Jane, you can tell from this episode that she really cares about this. And if you have questions or concerns or you just feel like you want to chat and say, hey, I've been through a lot too. You know, do you have any ideas? You can reach out to Jane. Her LinkedIn profile is in the show notes. So reach out and say hi or, you know, follow her. You know, I, I hope that that conversation was was meaningful for you and it will help you to be more of an advocate for your own health. Also, check out our stuff on winweightloss.com. That's W-Y-N weightloss.com. You can do that forward slash blog. So winweightloss.com forward slash blog to check out our articles, which are, you know, provide inspiration and lots and lots of good information to do this, to do exactly that. Empower you to be in charge of your own health and you know, to get the care, again, get the care that you deserve and to also practice your own self-care because that's part of what we talked about in this episode is we also have our own responsibility to take care of ourselves. So that's what we're helping you out with in our programs and on our website. So check it out and thank you for listening today. Thank you.